Good morning, church. It's good to see y'all today, and I, I truly mean that. Uh, Jenna is preaching at Ashley Dargai's church right now, actually, this morning. So while she was gone, I flew to Nashville to see my best friend, and I was supposed to fly back uh, this weekend around 5, and uh, there was a delay, and then there was another delay, and another delay, uh, and then it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I started panicking about how I was going to get home, and a hero pilot came and uh, saved the day, and so I really am happy to be with y'all right now. Um, let's start with, uh, with prayer again. God, we, we give you this time. Uh, we give you our, our thoughts, and uh, please teach us something. Have your spirit work in us. Uh, may, uh, may the things that I say right now uh, be good. May they be truth. And if not, then I ask that uh, you remove what, whatever it is, God, uh, and that we are just uh, receptive to your spirit and hearing what you're saying to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We are continuing a series called Every Moment Holy. Uh, this is the third sermon, and so the first one was about every moment holy, and then Jenna last week talked about uh, everybody holy. So what does it mean to be a holy uh, person? And today we're talking about uh, every place holy. I'm going to get to it, but I split the sermon into two parts because this is a lot, and I've tried my best to narrow some of it down, uh, but to me, this is some of the richest part of Scripture and one of the most important aspects of knowing what it means to follow Christ. And that's a, that's a big claim, but I truly uh, believe it. And so I ask you all to stay with me uh, as I try to push through some of these. Uh, the journey for me started in college, where every year I wanted to push myself beyond what was going on in my classes. And I wanted to study one thing just on my own that I was passionate about and make it a year-long project. Uh, so I tried different things in my senior year. I uh, completely poured myself into something that is called temple cosmology. And at its core, that just means looking at the biblical writer's uh, understanding of the cosmos, of God, through the lens of the temple. Temple cosmology. Now, this is, a, this is crazy, and you can, uh, you can write so many books about this. There's so much here. Uh, I'm going to try and parse out aspects that I want to talk about. But the thesis is that God uses the concept of temples to talk about his character, to reveal his character, his desires, and what role we play in it. You see, Genesis wasn't written in a vacuum. There were other cultures, a lot of things that were happening, and there were a ton of other creation stories that we see at this time. Genesis is in dialogue with those. Remember, the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Well, these ancient creation stories have some similarities to Genesis and some pretty stark differences that show us a lot. One of the dominant themes, though, of these creation stories is the concept of the temple. You see, it was really common in these creation stories for uh, after this time, uh, you, would, you would create, you would subjugate, you would create man, and then you would have physical temples built. And without fail, one of the last things that happens after the creation of this temple is the God would rest in it. In all of these creation stories, they rest in it. You see a ton of these. It's, it's not also just kicking your, your feet up. It's, it's a, an idea that now I can get to work, and it's dominion. One of the most famous works 
well, during this time is something called the Enuma Elish. And so these are these figures. This is uh, Marduk and Tiamat. And there's this crazy story of, uh, that happens where uh, Marduk is basically charged by the other gods to kill Tiamat. Uh, and they'll make him kind of the head god when that happens. Well, he does it. Uh, and he takes actually the blood of Tiamat and he makes man with it. And the man builds a temple and then Marduk rests in it. Now, I don't want to go through all the stories, but I'm going to say there are a few things that we learn uh, through the parallels, what's happening. Almost always, these other creation stories, creation happens through violence. It, it's almost every single one of them. Mankind is made through the blood of another god. Uh, meanwhile, Genesis walks along and says God speaks things into existence and he breathes life into man. Uh, life comes forward. Uh, man also were building temples for the gods in, in these creation stories. And uh, why do we not really see a temple, uh, a physical temple, in the story of Genesis? And um, there are a few different kind of concepts that people will talk about, but one is uh, that there's actually dominion areas. So these gods are, you know, it's polytheistic, multiple gods, and so you would have my area, I'm ruling from here. Well, God doesn't do that. The world is his temple. He doesn't go into a temple and rest. It just says on the seventh day, he rests because he does not have room for other gods. The world is his. What we see in, in that world is his temple. The Garden of Eden was the Holy of Holies. You might not have heard of this before. You might not uh, have heard of that, or it might be something that's pretty common to you, uh, but it's really well laid out uh, just in the formation of the, temp, uh, the tabernacle. You have the menorah representing the tree of life, the, the Ten Commandments resting in the Ark of the Covenant, echoing the tree of knowledge of good and evil, both of which, if you touched it, you would die, to the massive garden imagery laced throughout, to the fact that, and this is crazy to me, uh, just even the number seven, uh, the fact that there were seven days of creation and there, were seven, there was a seven-day construction of the tabernacle, a seven-year construction of Solomon's temple, and the temple dedication was a seven-day festival which fell on the seventh month of the year. Over and over and over again, there's a lot, but ultimately, all throughout Scripture, it screams that Eden is the Holy of Holies. And I actually, so why are we talking about this? I think that this is so important because I think you can basically lay out the story of Scripture in the language of temples. Because what happens is God is slowly restoring humanity and he is filling the earth bit by bit because he had this plan in Eden and then Adam and Eve mess up, they're kicked out, cherubim placed in front, and then the whole story of scripture is God trying to get back to that place of Eden, of dwelling. And first it's this mobile tent called the tabernacle, and then it becomes a more permanent temple. And then Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear this down and rebuild it in three days. The, the veil tears. The thing that separates the holy place, the holy of holies from the holy place, which is the Garden of Eden from the rest of the world. Again, this is a lot of stuff. I want Just track with me. Garden of Eden, the Holy of Holies, and God is resting 
in this temple. But why does this matter? Because Adam was a high priest. Eden was the place where Adam walked and talked with God, and the same Hebrew words used for God's walking back and forth in the garden also describes God's presence in the tabernacle. Genesis 2 says God placed Adam in the garden to cultivate it and keep it. The same words used often to priests who serve God in the temple and guard the temple from unclean things entering it. But most importantly, and this is what I really want you to hear, they are given a, a form of commission. Not only was Adam to guard the sanctuary, according to Genesis 1, God blessed them, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. rule over the fish in the sea and the birds, but, but fill the earth. There was this concept, and we sometimes miss this, it wasn't supposed to just be the Garden of Eden. It was supposed to move outward. It was supposed to fill the earth. God's hope was that it would fill the earth. And so after Adam and Eve are, are kicked out, then he says, well, what about Abraham? And he gives him a type of commission initially meant to be carried out by Adam, enlarging the borders of his sanctuary. And then we see him talk to Abraham and give him a similar commission. God's hope for Israel was that they would be a kingdom of priests meant to bring his light to all people. That was always his plan. Isaiah 49, 6 it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's desire is that all might become Eden, so that he might walk amongst his people. Israel saw this temple, and they, they thought it was a sign that they were the chosen people, God's favorite people, and that Jesus was going to be this type of warrior king who would conquer uh, in God's name. And they didn't expect a servant king. When we see Christ tear the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place, we see him take on Adam's broken role of high priest, perfecting it and inviting his people to once again take up that mantle of bringers of life to spread Eden outwards. This was always his plan, and we see it all throughout the New Testament. To move from the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle, to the temple, through the veil torn to you being a temple. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, and you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We get invited into this priesthood of all believers. Or this, this concept we find even more, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. God wants to bless and fill the earth through his people. The story of the temple, the story of God's resting, the story of God's dwelling is the story of the church. That is an invitation, an invitation to this great cry to restore all things.